Hello and welcome back to the Politics Unbox podcast. My name is Reese, and today, uh, something I've been waiting to bring to you all for what seems like such a long time. I've been very excited ever since I recorded this episode, been editing it uh, for a while, and now I finally get uh, the chance to bring to you uh, my interview with the Libertarian Party of America's vice presidential candidate for the 2020 presidential election. Uh, so a week or so ago, I sat down virtually, of course, uh, with Spike Cohen, who is on the Libertarian vice presidential candidate. Um, this is the first part of my interview with him. Uh, this episode is somewhere around uh, 15 to 20 minutes long. So uh, normal time, try to chop them up into a normal length of podcast, but the interview itself is about 1 hour 22. So I've got plenty of episodes to bring to you on my chat with Spike. Um, but without any further ado, I'm going to hand over this chat in particular, focuses on libertarianism, and we delve a little bit into his campaign. But without further ado, enjoy. Um, so first of all, Spike, thanks very much for coming on. Um, a month or so, uh, more than that now, I had Mark Whitney, who was fighting for the Libertarian Party presidential nomination on. Uh, and the first question I asked him was, why is he a Libertarian? So I'll start with exactly the same to you. Spike, why are you a Libertarian? Uh, I'm a Libertarian uh, because I believe that the people are able to do better and to thrive and to prosper when they are able to make choices and work together in cooperation and in competition with one another rather than having uh, centrally planned decisions co uh, uh, coerced upon them and forced upon them. Uh, libertarians believe that we own ourselves, that all of us own ourselves our lives, our bodies, our labor, and the product of our labor, which is our property. And we believe that when people um, try to take from each other, try to harm each other, try to impose ourselves upon each other's self-ownership, that that's an act of aggression. And we believe that's wrong, not just for uh, you know moral reasons, that you shouldn't be able to harm people and take their stuff, uh, but also because it, it doesn't work from a utilitarian standpoint. It, it's not a good way of doing things. If I can take from you and, and everyone else who's listening right now, uh, whenever I see fit, I'm not going to be a very good steward of what I have. I'm, I'm not going to make good decisions with what I have because I can just take more whenever I want. And the rest of y'all aren't going to be necessarily make the best decisions with what you have because you know that I can come and, and take it from you at any time. And the, the, the bad big government uh, centrally planned policies uh, that we have in, in the U.S. and as well as in the U.K. and elsewhere are really just policies whereby uh, people in positions of power presume the authority and the right to take from us whenever they see fit. And we see how that doesn't work. We see how it leads often to harmful and inequitable and abusive outcomes. And there's no reason to expect it uh, uh, happening any differently. Uh, if you get... Uh, you can get services from one of two ways. You can get it from competing providers who have a vested interest in trying to provide you with the best value uh, so that they can get your business over someone else. Or you can get it from a monopoly uh, who can give you what, whatever service they want because they know they know, and you know that they're the only game in town and, and they can simply give you whatever it is and you can either take it or leave it. Government is a violent monopoly that is financed by theft and enforced with death threats of harm. 
Uh, and not only do they know that they're the only game in town, but you don't have an option to take it or leave it. You simply have to take it. And we shouldn't expect good outcomes from that kind of arrangement. So as a libertarian, I believe that we should uh, look for uh, market solutions, for solutions based on people who are set free to make um, to make voluntary choices with each other uh, as often as possible over that of, of government in, uh, imposing itself upon us. So is there any role for government in the society for you? I think if there is to be any role of government, it is to uh, affirm and defend and enforce our lives and our rights and our property. Uh, and then to make, I guess, to, to arbitrate uh, when there are disagreements between that and, you know, and to you know punish people who violate that and so forth. Um, that is, in my mind, the only real proper role of government. When government whose role, whose, whose, the way that government is organized is in such a way as to take and to punish. And that's really the organizational structure of a government. You wouldn't use a governmental structure uh, in, 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 if, if you and I were to make a, a, a store or a restaurant, we wouldn't say, okay, we're going to have a restaurant. The way it's going to work is anyone who walks by, we're going to bring them in, we're going to take their money, and we're going to tell them that we're going to give them whatever kind of food we, we think that, that, that they should have. And if they try to leave, uh, we'll use whatever level of physical violence is necessary to make sure that they don't leave. Like that, we wouldn't organize anything other than a coercive entity in that way. So why would we expect them to be able to provide us with services um, when they do provide us with services? They certainly can do that, but they do so in a bloated and costly manner. And uh, it often leads to very harmful and, and inequitable outcomes. And, and those who have the least power are often wanting and, and those who have the most power uh, are often in an embarrassment of riches as a result. And we shouldn't be surprised by that. That's the very structure of the organization that would lead to such a thing. Um, so, no, I, I think that if there is to be any role by government, it is to uh, to, to use the structure of what it is and, and, the, and the manner of what it is to uh, to to enforce and, and affirm the rights and lives and property of, of the people living under it and to, I guess, provide uh, you know arbitration when there are disagreements and so forth. So on this uh, anarchist minicus debate, which has sort of been fairly frontal in the, the Libertarian Party, certainly around its time of its conception, I remember there's, well, I don't remember, I've done my, my research on the, the Dallas Accords of 1974, mm -hmm. uh, where on the, one of the founding areas of the Libertarian Party, uh, between the anarchist minicus debate, you would be suiting yourself on the, the minicus side, the sort of the state is there as a, a night watchman to keep the people safe from other people taking their stuff and to to do basically no more than that just to act as that judging judging force on this is your stuff you get to keep that this is their stuff they get to keep that the rest of it's between you yeah I, i'm saying that if government is to exist then that is what it should be doing i actually fall philosophically on the anarchist side uh in the libertarian party uh, when it comes to whether or not uh, you know government should exist, but I am also running for public effect, uh, elected office on a platform not of anarchy, but of ending the abuses and excesses of the Republicans and Democrats, bringing the troops home, ending the war on drugs, ending the wars overseas, um, you know, lowering taxes, uh, cutting wasteful government spending, and so in that frame, in that in that 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 mindset and in that framework. 
uh, I am running on a basically I'm, I'm running on a, a essentially a minarchist platform. Um, and uh, so in that manner, when I'm asked about, you know, the role of government, I say that if there is to be a government, this is what it should be doing. Um, now, with that said, if, if when we get to a, a, a minarchist utopia, when we get to a or I shouldn't say utopia, utopia, but when we get to a, a, a minarchist role where government is only fulfilling a, a very small handful of duties, if we then want to have a discussion about whether those things are best done by government or also done by the free market, that's that's a, a you know, that's that's a, a, a debate I'd, I'd very much welcome. And, and I think it'd be obviously a very robust one. Uh, but right now where. Uh, America and really the world in general is just sort of creeping towards ever growing government, not just in size and in cost, but also in the scope and power that it has over our lives. Uh, and I, I think it's it's important to focus on ending that 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 slothing towards ever growing government and and work towards uh, you know a, a freer society uh, more so than trying to have a debate on whether or not government should even exist. So you would personally. Uh, towards the the anarchism, but judging by the state we're in right now, it's a helpful stepping stone to be pushing for for just smaller right now. Whilst we're slip, yeah, I uh, think yeah, that I, way as you said, right? I, I think it's largely pointless to try to step in right now and say, well, actually. We don't even need a government. I, I don't think that's where most people are. Nor do I think it's really an effective uh, uh, you know, way to run for 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 office and say I'm running for office because I don't think government should exist. It's not. It's mm. not a compelling talking point. Uh, I think that we are in a much better position to be able to say these wars are costly and harmful. We, we need to bring the troops home and allow the healing to begin and and stop creating uh, combat veterans who come home with you know. Uh, PTSD, uh, if they come home at all, if they don't come home in a, in a flag draped coffin, not to mention that the, the uh, ending the the immeasurable harm that's being done to people overseas as a result of, of, of our bad policies, uh, ending the drug war, ending the 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 new chattel slavery that we have in the U.S., where people are uh, put in prison for victimless crimes uh, like drugs, like sex work, like uh, other things like that, and uh, and then they're they're used for free labor. Uh, to the benefit of the of the states and to uh, multi-billion dollar publicly traded uh, uh, for-profit free prison labor contractors uh, it is the new chattel slavery in the U.S. and and it's not uh, it's not a uh, it's not a coincidence that the vast majority of people that are in prison are people of color. Um, so those are the things we want to focus on, not not a debate as to whether or not government should exist. I think that that's largely useless in the the current real politic that we exist in right now. Mo uh, moving on to um, the electoral situation in the United States, mm -hmm. uh, it's historically been very hard for your party to break through the, the two-party hegemony. Uh, obviously, there's never been um, a Democratic or Republican president since those parties existed as the two-party system. Uh, sorry, anything other than a Democratic mm -hmm. or Republican uh, president up until their, well, from their formation. Um, are you hopeful that will change this time? Or is this more a campaign about building some momentum? No, I, I'm. We are running to win, and uh, we came. I, I believe that when Joe Jorgensen uh, gets on that debate stage with Donald Trump and Joe Biden, I think that the moment of 
It'll be an emperor has no clothes moment. It will be when the American people see that not only has everything they've been told that, oh, if you vote third party, you're just throwing your vote away. Not only is that not true, but she's the only viable option up there. You've got Joe Biden and Donald Trump. Two men who can, first of all, they can barely form a coherent sentence between the two of them. But more importantly, they are both emblematic of everything that is wrong with the the government and the, 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 the greater body politic that has been created by the Republicans and Democrats in their over 160-year exclusive control of government at every, at every level, uh, the system that they have created. Donald Trump, a lifelong crony who has used government to harm others uh, in order to be able to enrich himself and who promised to uh, drain the swamp only to become the king of the swamp creatures. And Joe Biden, a man who is uh, one of the architects of every bad a policy that has happened in government for the last 60 years, the military industrial complex, the war on drugs, um, the war on terror, the endless wars overseas. He's been a part of that uh, for, for something like for 60 years, almost 60 years now when he's not busy sniffing children. And you put between them, Joe Jorgensen, a brilliant self-made entrepreneur, someone who's ready to lead from day one. She's a, a brilliant orator, is able to break down very complex ideas in a way that connect with everyday Americans and is able to show case by case and point by point how the Republicans and Democrats have created the problem that we are in and how common sense libertarian solutions are the way out. I believe that when that happens, the American people will see that the only viable option there to get us out of the problems that we're facing, unprecedented problems that we're facing, is Joe Jorgensen. And in order to get on that debate stage, we have to pull at 15% or more uh, in, I believe, five or more reputable opinion polls. So like Gallup and, uh, and Emerson and CNN and you know, like the, the, the scientific, randomly selected type of uh, phone and internet polls. Um, we came pretty close in 2016. Uh, Gary Johnson yeah. and Bill Weld uh, got 13% in one poll and uh, 11% in two other polls. So they came within a pretty close distance of getting that 15%. Uh, the What's changed in the last four years is that we're seeing that the American people are uh, more outraged at government uh, than they ever have been on, on both the left and right. We've seen people across the political spectrum on the streets in just the past couple of months, two or three months, uh, uh, protesting all sorts of various things that the government has done wrong. Uh, police brutality, the lockdowns, uh, uh, and everything else that they've been protesting. Uh, and the other thing that's happened in the last four years is that the mainstream dying TV news media has that much less influence and that much less of a share of the, the news market. And social media, where we have uh, a much more uh, uh, proportionate uh, and, and much more prominent uh, role and 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 uh and presence there uh has uh has has taken that share has taken that much of the share so i think that we will be able to get that 15 percent. and when that happens we'll get on the debate stage and when that happens i think it'll completely change everything i think all bets will be off and i think that uh i think that joe jorgensen will win this election okay so you're very confident there or at least sounding very confident that uh it will be a a three candidate debate i remember the last time that happened would have been what the 19 either 1992 or 1996 yep. with mm -hmm. ross no. perot yep 92 um, with perot yeah 92 with perot with uh obviously incumbent president george hw bush and mm -hmm. uh soon to be president although they weren't to know at the time uh bill clinton mm -hmm. uh, perot managed to get uh, I believe it was, uh, I'll get the, the figures up, but I think somewhere in the region of about 19 million votes. Mm -hmm. He went away with 
zero electoral college votes. Yes. Um, do you think that you could face a similar situation, even if the public winds are changing, that you just don't grab enough of the vote to get on the electoral college vote system? Well, so to, for those who don't understand the electoral college system, every state is given a uh, a number of electoral college votes. Um, and uh, it, it's it's based on their population, although there is some heavier weighting towards the states that have lower populations. But but all in, overall, it's it's a portion based on population. And in order to get those votes, each of the state's votes, you have to win that you have to get more votes than anyone else uh, for president in that state. Um, and uh, now there are some states that they do it by congressional district and stuff like that. But mo for the vast majority of states, it's it's a winner take all. Uh, whoever gets the most votes. So he got 19, uh, 19 million votes, and or, or you're saying nineteen million. I, I forget the exact amount, but I know yeah, he got I've just in got the, it up here. He got uh, nineteen point seven million votes and about nineteen percent. Just yeah, not, yeah, yeah, nineteen percent of the vote. Um, and uh, and so, but because he got nineteen percent of the vote. Uh, there wasn't any state that he got the majority of votes in. We're yeah. estimating that it's going to take a we're going to have to get around uh, 40 million votes, which would work out to around 34 to 35 percent of the overall uh, popular vote in, in order to really be in contention to, to win. And I again, I believe that we're going to do that. I think that uh, often we get caught up in what happened in previous uh, performances with by, by the party or by others. Um, but I think that, again, when, when you get Joe on the debate stage, this is when the American people really tune in to the, the presidential uh, elections. Uh, we've seen this time and time again. All these things happen uh, in the news during the, the uh, primary debates and things like that. And then it doesn't necessarily affect what the expected outcome was in the primaries because the American people are largely not tuned in. Anyone watching the debates would have known that there was no reason to select Joe Biden. And yet the majority of American people, they showed up at their primary and they said, oh, Joe Biden, he was uh, Barack Obama's running mate. I'm going to go with him. And that's what happened. They 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 you know, he he won based on that, the, the inertia and momentum and the fact that he had the name recognition. The American people really tune in around the time of the debates. They they, they know what's going on, uh, maybe on a, you know, kind of paying attention on a on, you know, a peripheral level, but they're not really tuned in until the debate. And when that debate happens and they see that there's a woman up there that they probably never heard of before, but who is making so much more sense and who is breaking down exactly why these two men are emblematic of every single problem that the Republicans and Democrats in their exclusive control of government have created and how her common sense solutions, libertarian solutions are, are the way forward. Uh, I think it changes everything. Ross Perot, uh, if you'll recall, at, at one point, uh, both uh, actually after the debates, pulled ahead of uh, George Bush and mm. Bill Clinton. Uh, he actually dropped out. Uh, I, I believe it was because he never wanted to win in the first place. He just wanted to make sure George Bush didn't win and because mm. uh, they hated each other. And he, he, he got in and, and he actually dropped out. And he, he said it was because he came up with some flimsy thing about his daughter or something, why he dropped out. And then he came back into the race when, he, you know, when his polling dropped off and it looked like Bush could win again. So if he had stayed in the race... Uh, you know, consistently and hadn't dropped out at one point for, you know, a matter of uh, a matter of weeks, he he could have potentially won it. Um, and, and again, that was on the strength of his performance in the debate. Here was this this funny little man that people had been, you know, uh, you know, making fun of largely. And he gets on the debate yep. stage and he's making way more sense than Busher or, or Clinton did. 
Um, I think we'll have a similar moment with uh, with with Joe Jorgensen. They're going to realize that she makes way more sense than anyone else up there, and she is clearly a viable candidate. I think that's a fair assessment of the 1992 campaign. Uh, yeah, Perot dropping out in in July undoubtedly damaged damaged his campaign. Yeah. So you, you're placing a lot of the weight of your campaign essentially on getting into these prime. Uh, sorry, not the primaries, the debates. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you're confident, but let's just say that you don't. For whatever reason, something happens and you don't get 15% across the polls. And so you're not on the debate stage. What happens to your campaign then? We continue going. We, we continue to leverage viral marketing on social media. We continue to leverage our grassroots campaign. We already have uh, hundreds of thousands of people that are uh, out there that are, are building our volunteer network of doing phone calls and door knocking where, where door knocking can be done. Uh, obviously, that's a, a challenge there, but there are some states mm-hmm. where door knocking can be done. Putting up signs. We have signs that people are putting up, um, you know, getting, getting billboards, getting TV ads, getting radio ads. Uh, doing uh, personal appearances all over, uh, all over, uh, you know, podcasts like I'm doing right now, and and uh, and TV interviews. We have some big, big interviews in the works. We can't name them now, but but uh, they are. Stay tuned because they are coming. Um, and uh, you know, just leveraging everything we can to get as high of a percentage of the vote as possible. Obviously, if we can't get into debates, that's going to make it a lot more uh, difficult to win. Uh, but at the very least, I think that we're already well positioned to outperform uh, our spread in terms of of how any other candidate has done, not just because we are leveraging the grassroots in a way that no campaign has in in, in decades for the Libertarian Party uh, and, and also leveraging viral marketing in a way that really didn't exist prior to, you know, 2016, um, but also because, again, the the structure of what's happening in the U.S. right now, the American people are scared and outraged by what has happened in the last year and by things that government has done. Uh, this pandemic that we're facing, the reason that we're facing it worse than anyone else is because for the first nearly two months that the virus was here, the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control of the federal government, banned medical professionals from testing or treating COVID because of some ridiculous regulation that was in place that said that uh, you know if, if you wanted to test for a new virus, a novel virus, you had to go through a Byzantine months-long approval process. Months. It, took, it would take months uh, to be able to get the approval. And so when people first started going into doctor's offices here and saying, Doc, I don't feel too hot, and I just got back from Wuhan, China, or Hubei province, China, and I'm seeing this thing on TV, this coronavirus thing, and I, I'm worried I might have it, those doctors had to tell them, well, we can't test you. Uh, because, you know, there's there's no way to test you for it. And thankfully, there were some doctors, uh, Dr. Helen Chu at the University of Washington in, in Medical Center in Seattle and doctors in some other parts of the country who broke the law. They put it above they put their their Hippocratic oath above the uh, above what the, the, the regulations said. And they created the test kits themselves, which are apparently easy to do uh, if you know how to do such a thing, unless you're the government. The CDC spent over a month making test kits and they all failed. Uh, but they made these test kits. They tested people and some of them came back positive. So they went to the CDC and they said, uh, listen, it's already here. People already have it and uh, we now need to do something. And the CDC's initial response to that was to say, destroy those test results and tell no one, including the patients, uh, do not treat them, do nothing, send them home. This, this highly vir- viral pathogen, which you know, left to its own devices, doubles every two days. They were told, just send them home. And now we know why 
it, it grew completely out of control. Now, thankfully, those same uh, doctors engaged in an incredible act of civil disobedience and released the data to the public, which forced the CDC's hand to allow uh, you know, private entities to start testing. But the point is that for two months, it was just running roughshod through the country. And we now see what's happened as a result. And as a result of that, uh, to kind of overcorrect for that, the states went and locked everyone down, told them to stay in their homes, uh, not to go outside, not to go to their, their see their families, not to go to the beach, not to go to small businesses and, and, and you know, and do business in, in businesses where there might be four or five people there. Go to Walmart, go to Costco, uh, go to Target, go to big box retail stores, all of you, hundreds of you together on the same building. Go there now where it's safe. Um, but don't go to the beach and don't go to the park because that's unsafe. Um, but, you know, go to big box, big business stores and stay home and, and use Amazon and, 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 and watch Netflix. And for the businesses that we can't tell you to use, like the airlines and the hotels, we'll just take your money and give them trillions of dollars in bailouts. And we'll give you $1,200 and tell you you have to stay home indefinitely, even though there's no way you could live off of $1,200 for months at a time. And if at any point you fail to comply with our orders, we will take you to a jail uh, where you are almost certain to get COVID-19. And the threat there is very, very implicit and very clear. If you don't listen to us, we will infect you with the virus that we allowed to run completely uh, through your communities by not allowing medical professionals to test you. People are outraged at this government in a way that they have never been before, at least not in recent, in, in our time. Mm. And we are going to leverage that. We are going to show the American people that there is an alternative to the Republicrats, and it is the Libertarians. That's all we have time for today on the Politics Unbox podcast. I want to thank you very much for listening. Uh, the next part of this interview with Spike Cohen will be out soon, probably tomorrow. Um, but until then, thanks for listening. I'll see you all around again soon for the next episode of the podcast. And until then, goodbye. Mm-hmm.